Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and this week we're discussing humanities, social sciences and the work of the British Academy. With me to discuss that is Hitan Shah, the relatively new Chief Executive of the British Academy. Hitan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. For those who are listening who are less familiar with the British Academy, the name doesn't really give away what it does. What is it and what are its main functions? So the British Academy is the National Academy for Humanities and Social Sciences and we've got several key functions. I mean we're a fellowship, we have over a thousand fellows who are the leading lights in humanities and social science. I mean people you'll have heard of like Mary Beard, the classicist, Simon Sharma, the historian, or Nick Stern, the economist. Then we're also a funder of humanities and social science research, so we give out quite a lot of money to postgraduates uh, and to people right the way through their careers. And we're a voice for humanities and social sciences, as you might expect. So we're always saying what the value is and how, how those disciplines can make a contribution. And in particular, we play, I think, quite an important policy role. So helping to bring those perspectives from, you know, economists, sociologists, anthropologists to some of the big policy issues of the day. Okay, well, we're going to pull apart some of those things as we go along. Obviously, we're still very much in lockdown due to the coronavirus. We hear a lot on the news about the role of evidence in helping inform the quite difficult decisions governments have to make. And many people are familiar with some of the medical evidence, such as epidemiology, but social science and humanities have a major contribution in that evidence as well. What are the main areas where the social sciences, where the humanities can help inform these difficult decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think people have recognised that the pandemic is not just a biological or medical phenomenon, it is an economic and social phenomenon. And there's a lot of work already going on by social scientists and humanities people. I thought I'd draw on actually some very real life projects that actually the Nuffield Foundation is funding right now. They did a, a special round of funding. So just to kind of illustrate, not just in a theoretical sense, but in a real sense, what, what work is going on. So there's some work led by Daisy Fancourt at UCL on the psychological impact of lockdown and the pandemic. I mean, that's a very kind of real issue. We're all locked in our houses at the moment. How, how is that going down? How does that all feel? The Reuters Institute is doing work on how is the UK public getting its information about COVID. And we've heard a lot about 5G masts being, you know, attacked. Uh, so this whole issue of information and misinformation is a really important social science question, I think. Third area, Ruth Patrick uh, at York University is doing some stuff on the impact of COVID on families with low income. So we know that those are some of the most vulnerable families uh, in terms of the economic impacts and uh, really understanding how they are coping with that, I think, is, is very important. And a fourth area that there's work being done on the impact on young people, there's a project by the Institute for Fiscal Studies on some of the pupil achievement impacts, so attendance rates and things like that in the medium term, so how will they achieve? And also another project which is looking at the lived experience of young people in the UK, in Italy, in Singapore and Lebanon. So those, I think, give a few different examples of some really good projects going on. Uh, and just, uh, it's very topical. Today, the British Academy has announced a new special small grants research fund, uh, which we're opening up for humanities and social science contributions in this area in response to the pandemic. Okay, and that's quite a, a range of different topics in which social sciences and humanities are, are contributing. Obviously, to be most impactful 
the people doing that research and the evidence they produce has to get to decision makers. How is the British Academy interacting with governments to ensure that they're aware of this evidence and other evidence across the piece? Yeah, so we've set up a rapid response group within the Academy of about a dozen of our fellows. And we've also reached out to our fellowship and we've got a wider caucus of about 40 more fellows who've said they want to be involved. So as you know, I mean, government is having to make really quite tough decisions very, very quickly right now. Yeah. So we are one of the bodies that they reach out to from time to time, asking for input at really quite a lot of speed. And so our group is able to turn things like that around. And we're working, for example, with the Office for National Statistics to help them think about what they should be measuring in this period. We've been talking to Bayes, the Government Department for Science and Research, about what COVID's impact might be on the research landscape and how that is impacting on researchers. So those are two kind of practical questions. But I think uh, as issues emerge, we are ready to respond but also some of the projects that we're thinking about over the longer term are issues like, for example, what's the future of higher education, which we know universities are being disrupted massively by COVID. And at the moment, I think government doesn't really have a lot of headspace to think about those medium run issues. So those are some of the things we're trying to think through internally so that, you know, when government comes back up for air, there, there has been some thinking done on those things. So I was going to ask you a little bit about the, the some of the next stage. Obviously, the focus right now is dealing with the immediate requirements of COVID, but people are also beginning to think about how this truly global event is actually going to change the way that we live and the way we work in the future. And one of the areas, for example, is changes to the workplace and to the world of work more generally. How can social sciences help us think about how work and the workplace might change in a sort of post-COVID world? Well, I mean, it's a truism now, isn't it, that uh, everyone is using these video conference type calls, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that, I mean, for the last 20 or 30 years, we've had this promise of remote working. And an interesting question is, you know, are we now about to see the dawn of a new kind of remote working culture? So at a very top level, one of the things social science can help tell us is when change happens and you know the models of change do seem to indicate that we, we tend to be locked into patterns of behavior as a society and change can happen at moments where some of that behavior patterns are unfrozen and because most behavior is social it's not just about me as an individual you know we follow social norms uh, biggest changes can happen when social you know, everybody changes at the same time. So this is clearly one of those moments where behaviour patterns have unfrozen and we are learning new ways of working. So that, I think, is the first thing to say. At a very general level, social science can tell us that this is a moment of potential change. Now, economists and business schools and others would be the ones who can actually analyse the effects upon the workplace and they will be measuring the data to see how have workplaces changed? Uh, and that, that is not something, I mean, we can make some predictions was to, to wait and see what happens and get, get the data as it were. But I think the other area which is important and, and is easy to forget about is just the, the bigger changes that are happening to, to the economy. Uh, so not just about the kind of workplace itself, but the fact that we're likely to suffer some kind of recession, potentially even some kind of depression, uh, that the worldwide economy is slowing down, oil prices uh, have dropped to a, a real floor, 
uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and we're likely to see quite a lot of businesses in the UK go bust. So, you know, what, what is the future of the UK economy look like? Uh, and I think that these are the sorts of issues that economists and others will be getting their teeth into. And I think a separate area is to do with society more generally. So how is this experience of living in a different way and isolating what are the the effects on society obviously the economy is one area any any other ideas uh, that social sciences might help with yeah i mean uh, mental health i think will be an important issue so how has this whole pandemic affected our health not just in a physical sense but in a mental sense i mean there'll be interesting patterns around has lockdown impacted on, for example, divorce rates? Uh, that, I mean, there was an anecdote that, yeah. that that increased in China, but we shall see whether that's the case here. But, you know, being strapped in with your nearest and dearest uh, <laughs> can have uh, all sorts of uh, interesting impacts. But I mean, there are darker issues as well. We're seeing early signs of a rise in domestic violence because of the lockdown. So there are all these sorts of things. And then I mean, an interesting deeper question is, will we see a realignment of values in any way? And the British Academy will be involved in uh, something called the World Values Survey uh, later this year. And, you know, thinking about whether this has led to any fundamental rethink in what we think is important. And one example of that is there's been a discussion about the fact that we've seen a real drop in pollution uh, and the kind of environmental impacts uh, of of COVID, which is a kind of very odd side effect, as it were. Obviously, no no one would have wished for COVID to have seen that. But will, will any of that help change the way that we think about our relationship with the environment? Really interesting. And clearly a number of people will. And the government has made all sorts of choices in COVID that it would never have dreamt of making without it. But it has led to some of these interesting things. And I'd be quite interested to see how the values discussion goes on. Taking us slightly out of COVID for a moment, obviously before this pandemic, one of the biggest news stories in the UK was to do with Brexit. And across Europe, migration was also a major issue. And neither of these things actually gone away just because we have a, a global pandemic. What has the British Academy been doing to understand the implications of both Brexit and migration uh, in terms of changes in Europe? Yeah, I mean, those are two quite interesting examples because we've approached them in rather different ways. So Brexit is one of the areas where, as you might expect, we have a real policy interest because of the impact upon research and universities. Sure. So let me say a bit about that, then I'll come back to migration. But on Brexit, I, I mean, it, it's stating the blinding obvious, but to say that the future relationship between the UK and the EU remains uncertain at this stage, I mean, that would be difficult in normal times, but these aren't even normal times. I mean, universities have been so impacted by COVID, you know, that the impact on sort of international students potentially, uh, as well as uh, all sorts of other things. We also haven't seen an outcome from the spending review. I mean, that's now been delayed to the, till the autumn. So there's considerable uncertainty surrounding higher education and research. And humanities and social science has got a particular interest here because researchers in those fields do disproportionately well in ERC, uh, European funding. So UK-based humanities social science researchers won more than 33% of all ERC, humanities and social science funding. Wow, Um, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, and you can compare that to, I mean, the UK does very well, even the sciences do well, but they get about 20% of all of the natural science funding. So they do disproportionately well, but humanities and social sciences does even better. So a key issue for us is about the future of association with some of those programmes, so Horizon Europe. And we were pleased that the government was talking about, back in February, embarking on negotiations with other EU partners about potential associations. So that's an area where we have a strong policy interest and are pushing for solutions which either will give us that level of association that we can still continue to benefit from that funding, or if other arrangements are made because we don't associate, they need to be done in such a way that the humanities and social sciences continue to get the level of funding that they used to. So for example, I think archaeology in particular, I mean some some subjects, but archaeology is an example, get a very high proportion of their research income from these EU government bodies and funds. I think archaeology gets 38% and economics gets an enormous amount as well. So you know those subjects could face real real difficulty if we didn't manage to match that level of funding in the future yeah i can see that and clearly as people make decisions about association or not they need to do it in an intelligent way to understand the disproportionate way that eu funds have been won in the past and and the effect on different uh, different disciplines yeah and you were saying migration is rather different yeah migration is different so that's not an area where the british academy in of itself has been taking a policy view Instead, it's an area where we have been fostering research by our community. Uh, So we held an international symposium back in 2018. And then February of this year, we published an edition of our journal called A Mediterranean Perspective on European Union and Disunion. And it reflected on the 2015 to 2019 migrant crisis, the Greek debt crisis, and the kind of rise of nationalism uh, across the continent. So Some of the themes within that were reviewing how European nationalists used anti-immigration rhetoric to capitalise on the sort of dissatisfaction, socio-economic dissatisfaction of their citizens, but also quite interestingly how local governments and voluntary organisations responded to the kind of humanitarian needs of refugees and others, trying to bypass the sort of politicisation of those issues and just kind of actually responding to real need. That's an area where I think it's been the research community we have helped to foster to help shed light on some of mm. those deeper issues. Mm. As an aside, I mean, I mean, it's not quite what you're asking, but an interesting side note that in UK polling just came out in the last few days from Ipsos Mori, concern about migration within the UK has dropped to its lowest level in over 20 years. So I think that's just interesting to note that even within our own country, I mean, given COVID and given all sorts of other things, including progress on Brexit, actually migration really seems to have dropped off as an issue, which one would not have predicted a few years ago. That is fascinating. And it's interesting to think why why that is, but that's subject for more research, no doubt. Indeed. I'll, I'll come back and do another podcast with you another time. <laughs> That'd be great. So all the various things we've talked about have assumed a strong skill base and an amount of expertise in social sciences and humanities, both in the academic community and indeed in the workplace. So I guess my question is, does the teaching of humanities and social sciences in UK schools and universities deliver those skills that we need? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key starting point here is to remember that 80% of the UK economy is now services. 
and in a sense you know a lot of things flow from that so you think law accountancy media the creative economy so humanities and social sciences are just critical in terms of developing the skills for that kind of workforce that's required by a services economy be that kind of critical analysis problem solving writing all those sorts of things Humanities and social science graduates are just as likely to be employed as their STEM counterparts. That sort of the labour force survey shows that. And we can see there's no ceiling for humanities and social science graduates, right? I mean, the prime minister is a classicist. The <laughs> cabinet's full of people that studied history or law, or politics or economics. And even 58% of FTSE 100 chief executives studied arts, humanities, social sciences at graduate or postgraduate level. Do you think that sometimes the need for skills in humanities and social sciences is overshadowed by talk of the, the need for STEM skills in the economy? Is, is more needed to describe kind of what you've just done, the, the importance of social sciences and humanities skills in the workplace? I have to say, I don't like setting up a kind of false dichotomy here between humanities, social science and STEM. Uh, you, we need both. I mean, just take COVID as an example. We need epidemiologists we need economists we need engineers i mean that you know society is about bringing all those disciplines together one of the things i've been really happy with since i've joined at the british academy is how well the four national academies work together so that's the royal society the british academy the royal academy of engineering and the academy for medical sciences and you know i have a weekly meeting with my counterparts there and we've all developed a COVID response and we're all playing to our strengths and working with each other as it were. The BA does have a, an important role here so we're trying to develop a new narrative for humanities and social science skills in, in the way that I think the STEM side has successfully done. There'll be more about that in the coming months and uh, we've got a new report coming out in May which shows solid quantitative evidence that humanities social science graduates have kind of excellent career prospects as well so as you might expect that's a space in which we'll be continuing to you know make some noise. And more generally what's the role of the British Academy in helping to develop the skills and support the next generation? Yeah there's a lot of different things that we do I mean we foster and reward talent with our research awards so you know small research grants postdoctoral fellowships etc we do a lot of public engagement uh, to encourage the next generation so uh, i mean we've just set up a series of 10 minute online talks that now that we've gone uh, everyone's gone virtual and we had last week 900 people tune in to the first one of those wow uh, the historical thing uh, we've had a further 4,000 views since then. So, you know, there's a lot of demand, I think, for these things. And then finally, we do monitor the health of our subjects at school and university level. Uh, one area at the moment where we're particularly concerned is around language learning, which is something that the UK, I think, has, has, has not been good at perhaps getting worse at. So we're now we're doing a report on how we might revive language learning at all levels. As we come towards the end, I just wanted to ask you as a final question, what are your key priorities for the British Academy over the next couple of years? One is to bring together the best thinkers on the big issues of the day. I mean, the BA is brilliantly placed to do that. So one reason why we're better placed than a university is because universities are limited to kind of work with those in their institution, whereas we can draw on the best talent across the country. So thinking about, for example, projects like future, what's the future of democracy? 
how can we strengthen social cohesion in the country? How should higher education develop as things move forward? So that's one area. Uh, second, I think that the BA has got extraordinary convening power. Uh, and so what I want to do is to really build on that to bring together a wide range of partners to help think about social good. So that's working with the other national academies that I mentioned earlier, but also with civil society, with policymakers, the media and business. And we've done that really successfully. For example, we've had a big project on the future of the corporation, thinking about the purpose of business. And I'd like to sort of replicate that and develop that. And then finally, I think humanities social science has got a very powerful role, as we've discussed, around analysing and evidencing where society is at. But I think there is a kind of very important moment, which is about shaping the future. So as discussed, the pandemic, I think, has made some old certainties disappear and has unlocked certain kind of ways of behaving within society. And so I, I'd like to push the academy and our fellows, and they're already willing to do this, to go beyond analysis to social imagination, to say, what could a better, fairer, more sustainable economy and society look like and how might we get there? And, you know, if you look at actually what happened after the world wars, there were moments where society did reimagine itself. You saw the creation of the welfare state. You saw drivers for a reduction in inequality. And I wonder whether we're at one of those big historical turning points again, where we, you know, we're coming to realise, for example, that we undervalued certain people, be those bus drivers, people working in the care industry, etc, that the economy doesn't value, but actually we've come to realise have been incredibly important to all of us. And so what would it look like to redesign our society and economy so that we did actually value these people to, to the extent that they really ought to be? Some really fascinating questions there and a good place to end. I'm really interested to see how all of that turns out. Hitan Shah, thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.